Good morning, Sunset. My name is Jim Hallway, and it is good to have you connected to our assembly this morning. Um, can you can you tell I'm smiling? You know, when when one of the challenges I've had with this face mask is that you can't really tell unless you can look at their eyes and you can see. Okay, is someone smiling with their eyes? Because you never really know. Because they could be smiling, or they could be sticking out their tongue. <laughs> so so how can you tell if they're smiling? Or if they're not, you look at the eyes. And you know, in the times of the patriarchs, women were heavily veiled and they wouldn't go out in public. And the only way you could uh, uh, determine a person's character was, was by looking at their eyes. Uh, we have a saying in English, the eyes are the window of the soul. And that if you look in someone's eyes and you make contact with them, that you can actually get a sense of their character and who they are. Not always, but Jesus would say, your eye is like a lamp that produces light for your body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body is filled with light. He's talking about, he's not talking about if you have healthy eyes, like you don't need glasses. He's talking about wholesome, healthy, spiritually healthy eyes. Well, our text today comes from Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to be talking about eyes. And those and eyes have kind of a way of flowing through the, the entire text. If you remember last week, Jacob was on the run. He was running from his brother Esau, his older brother. Remember, they were twins. Jacob was the younger. Esau was the older. And Jacob managed to manipulate and deceive not only Esau, but also his father, out of the rights of the firstborn. He took advantage of Esau's hunger and his desire to satisfy a physical need, and then he overtly lied and tricked his father into giving him the blessing. Well, his mom found out that Esau wanted to kill him, so Rebekah decides to send him off to Haran to look for a wife. That was the pretext on the way uh, uh, God shows up in a dream, and that was the, the ladder or the staircase or the stairway to heaven with the angels coming up and down. And as a result of that encounter with God, Jacob makes a vow. It was a pretty immature vow, but he makes a vow. And his vow says something like, God, if you do all these things for me, then I'll let you be my God. I'll choose you. Well, we see Jacob's spiritual immaturity in another way. The idea of going to Haran or the homeland to, to find a wife is very similar and parallels the story when Abraham sent his servant Eleazar to find a wife for Isaac. And, and, and before Eleazar went, he prayed and he asked God's guidance to show him who would be the right one for his master's son. Jacob doesn't pray. There's no real mention of God in this entire process. He doesn't look to or seek out God's guidance. But there's another way that we see uh, uh, Jacob's uh, immaturity. Uh, Eliezer prayed for a woman of character with a servant's heart that had that inner beauty. And that was demonstrated by her desire and her willingness to give water to all the camels. Jacob doesn't really care about inner beauty. <laughs> he, he looks for outer beauty and that's about as far as he looks. And so we see this significant difference in that initial uh, story and this one. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna read the text, uh, uh, um, uh, Genesis chapter 29, uh, verses 13 and following, and we're gonna read it in three sections, and I'll have a couple comments and then make some uh, uh, concluding 
um, uh, points at the end. Uh, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 29. We're going to begin in verse 13 and read through verse 22. Uh, the text says, as soon as Laban, who is his uncle, as soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story about why he was there and what he was looking for, Laban exclaimed, you really are my flesh and blood. Now, we don't know how much Jacob said, but he might have told him the part about uh, uh, deceiving uh, his father and getting the rights of the firstborn because that would have made Jacob a little bit more important in the eyes of his uncle Laban. And as we'll see, Laban and Jacob really are cut from the same cloth. They really are flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we're relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah. The younger was named Rachel. Verse 17, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. This verse is difficult to translate. And if you read a lot of different translations, they're all going to come up with different kinds of words and ways to translate uh, the words to describe the word. It's one word, rach to describe uh, Leah's eyes. Uh, older translations say they were weak, they were tender, they were gentle, delicate. Uh, um, this translation goes that they had no sparkle. Um, some go to, as far to say that they were dull. Uh, we're, we're not exactly sure, but what we do know, and the point that the text is making is, you have Leah with her eyes, and then you have Rachel, who was a stunning beauty. Verse 18, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, beautiful figure and a lovely face, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel, the, your younger daughter, as my wife. Seven years was a long time. It was much more than the typical bride price in ancient days. But Laban agrees. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed like just a few days. Finally, the time came for her to marry him. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. You have to understand, age and who is the older is extremely important in, in, in ancient times and in the Bible. Remember that Jacob was the younger brother, and he managed to get the rights of the older. When it came to daughters, uh, Laban had a situation. He had an older daughter that had some sort of flaw. We might not know exactly what it was. It wasn't that she was nearsighted, because you really can't see that, but there was maybe she was cross-eyed or, or maybe there was just something about her eyes that didn't look right. And so he had a daughter with some sort of defect that made her unattractive to suitors. If Laban couldn't unload her, he was going to be stuck with her for the rest of his life. And he was looking for a way to find someone to take her. Jacob's desire to marry the younger daughter was the perfect situation 
for him to not only get rich and take advantage of this young man's labor, but also to find a solution for his older daughter. This first section, one commentator uh, uh, entitles, Love at First Sight, Jacob Fell in Love with Rachel. The commentator then entitles this next section, <laughs> Shock at First Light, because this is what happens beginning in verse 23. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban had also given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban. I have worked for seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Verse 26, well, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban said. But, but wait until the bridal week is over, and, and we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for her. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. And Laban, Laban also gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. Shock at first light. Now, there is no way we can understand how that could happen. How could you go to sleep and sleep with someone and it was the wrong person. Well, keep in mind a couple of things. One, uh, Leah would have been heavily veiled, okay, in the first place. Number two, uh, Jacob would have been heavily drunk. <laughs> uh, they would have had, in fact, the word for this wedding feast included or is used of, uh, of drinking parties. And then the third, it was really dark. We don't have these diva lights and the other kind of lights that you might, LEDs at the home, uh, and so it, it, it's hard to know what he saw in his inebriated state. But when he had sobered up in the morning, he realized who he had just spent the night with. And so Laban then explains, well, we don't do this of marrying off the younger. We respect the rights of the firstborn. And he's telling this to a man who had just tricked his father out of those rights of the firstborn. Jacob, the trickster, had just gotten tricked. <laughs> uh, he, he was able to trick his father, and now because of his poor eyesight, now his eyes have deceived him. He's ended up married to Leah, and he also now is going to work seven more years for the younger daughter, Rachel. I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit bad for, for, for Jacob, right? That was a pretty dirty trick. That was a pretty pretty dirty trick that they played. But on the other hand, it's kind of nice to see Jacob get his comeuppance, to get his due. You know, we, we can think of things like, ah, he got a dose of his own medicine. Uh, um, uh, uh, what goes around comes around. Um, uh, uh, you reap what you sow, Jacob, and you don't want to mess around with karma. Uh, have you heard the story about this guy that was just a fanatic for classical cars? And he saw an ad in one of these auto trader kind of things for a 1966 cherry red Corvette in mint condition. And the price was $100. He couldn't believe it. He called immediately and he spoke to the woman on the phone and she said, yes, that's true. Come out and see the car. 
the whole time he's thinking it's going to be a junk, a piece of junk. But for $100, maybe I can get some parts off of it. He gets there and the car was impeccable. It was exactly as described, perfect in every way. As he's writing out the check, he starts feeling a little guilty because he feels like he's taking advantage of a, of a lady who might not know the true value. So uh, uh, he's writing out the check for $100 and it says, ma'am, Listen, I just need to be upfront with you. I'm feeling really guilty about this. You know that this car is worth a whole lot more than $100. And the woman replies, oh yeah, I know that. But you see, my husband just left me and ran off with the secretary at his office. He told me he didn't want anything that had to do with us. He didn't want the house. He didn't want anything that was in the house. The only thing he wanted or wanted connection to was the Corvette. And he told me to sell the Corvette and send him the money for the car. And that's what I'm doing for $100. Well, th those kinds of stories uh, 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 make us feel like, oh yeah, he got what he deserved. Uh, uh, the sense of justice, the, the, the audience hearing this story for the first time and continuing to tell the story would be rolling on the floor at what happened to Jacob. But let me tell you something, Jacob isn't the real victim in this story. The real victim in this story is Leah. Because listen to what happens next, verse uh, um, 30. So Jacob slept with Rachel too and loved her much more than Leah. And he stayed and he worked with Laban the additional seven years. I think verse 30, Genesis chapter 29, is one of the most tragic verses in the scripture. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Leah was married. Even though the situations didn't work out, Leah was married, but now she's in a loveless relationship. She's in a dead end where she's married to someone who doesn't love her, and much like some people feel in today's world, in the ancient world, the way to a man's love was by giving him children. So she felt like if I could just get pregnant and give my husband a son, then he'll love me. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Reuben means I've been seen. God has seen my misery. Verse 33, soon she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. I have been heard. For she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she, gained pregnant, she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi. For she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. Levi sounds a lot like the word for I am attached or I have received affection. E each time Leah is trying to win the love of her husband and evidently it failed. 
at some point, her relationship with God develops to a point where she realizes she's got to stop trying to please her husband and she's got to please God. And so she has a fourth son, verse 35. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. This one she named Judah, which means I will praise him. For she said, I will now praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. She realized that trying to seek and achieve her husband's love was going to be a dead end path. So let me make three points here uh, related to the specific situations that we've walked through. Number one, sin does you. Tim Keller has this, uh, 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 says it this way. He says, you don't do sin. Sin does you. Sin is not something that we just do and then move on. It was just an event. It was just one night. It was just this momentary thing. When we sin, we are unleashing a power, a devastating power that will wreak havoc in our lives. Sin leads to more sin. You lie once and then you have to keep lying to maintain that lie. You're unfaithful once and then that leads to a multitude of other kinds of sins. And you think through all of the things that go on. Uh, you get caught for something and then you turns out that there's other things as well. Sin leads to more sin. And it'll take you further than you ever intended to go. Sin isn't like a little stone that you might toss in a puddle. Sin is like a boulder that comes smashing down into the water and it doesn't create ripples, it creates waves that go on and on. You don't do sin, sin does you. The second point is that in the morning, it's always Leah. Derek Kidner has a, a, a commentary on Genesis and he says, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. This is a miniature of our disillusionment, disillusionment experience from Eden onwards. On this side of Eden, in life, we will get disappointment and disillusionment over and over and over. In our minds, we're hoping for Rachel, but in the morning when we wake up, it's Leah. C.S. Lewis wrote in a book about, a chapter about hope, says most people, if they really learn to look into their own hearts, would know that what they want and acutely long for is something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or we first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are, are longings that no marriage, no travel, no learning can ever truly satisfy. And I'm not speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or failures of holidays and so on, says Lewis. I'm speaking of the very best possible ones. There is always something we have grasped at. There is always something in that first moment of longing but then it quickly fades in the reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. It turned out to be a good job, but it's evaded us. 
in the morning, it's always Leah. I would venture to say that every single married couple at some point in their life has woken up and realized the life they imagined is not the life that they are now living. The wife they imagined or the husband they imagined is not the one that they're now sharing their bed with. We put our hope in people and we put our hope in organizations and we put our hope in things and every single one of those sooner or later will disappoint us. Sin does you, you don't do sin. Uh, uh, the second point, in the morning, it's always Leah. And the third point is that God loves weak people. We see weakness as a flaw, but God has chosen the weak of the world. He has chosen those that are considered to be flawed individuals to be the ones who receive his special blessing in his work. Through Leah, this flawed and unloved woman, God brings blessing upon blessing for the people of Israel and for the entire world. Her son Levi provided the tribe of Levi, which would then bring forth Moses and Aaron and all of the priests in the temple and the people of God. Her son Judah would be the tribe of Judah, and out of the tribe of Judah would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Two of her offspring, not Rachel's, Leah's offspring, provided the way for the people of Israel and the people of the world to draw into a deeper relationship with God. Leah felt unloved in this earth, but in God's eyes, she was beloved and she was loved. I don't know what flaw you have that makes you feel unloved, but I have the good news for you today, and that is you are loved by God. Regardless of what your flaw is, what, regardless of what people think, you are loved by God. Your flaw doesn't mean that God rejects you. Your flaw means that God has woken up and seen you, and that draws him to you. And it wakes up his desire to be compassionate and merciful towards you. God has chosen to invest his treasure in broken jars of clay. God has chosen the weak of the world so that his strength can be seen. God has chosen the foolish, the flawed, the rejected people of earth so that his goodness and his power can shine through. You might be flawed, as we all are, but you are also beloved by God, dearly and deeply loved. So I challenge you this week to see yourself as God sees you. Draw near to him today. We can help and you can contact us through phone, text, or email. And as you continue wearing your mask, remember to smile with your eyes because through your eyes, people can see your heart. Our uh, uh, brother Paco Perez, one of our elders, is here to lead us in a prayer. And then after this prayer, we will have one last song to round out our service today. God bless you.